Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome into the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Jake Luke, and I'm joined by my co-host, Vasily Larikos. Vas, what's going on, man? Everything is great. Great time of year to be a sports fan, especially for NFL fans. Off-season roster building is always fun. We have a jam-packed episode today. We're going to be revisiting all the Ravens moves in free agency in our inaugural episode Uh, We're going to break down the depth chart, discuss remaining positional needs, dig into general draft strategy, as well as identifying draft prospects the Ravens should target on each day of the draft. But before we go any further, we must give a special shout out to our friend, former colleague on our Baltimore Beatdown blog, the founder of this podcast network, and my former co-host on our Take It to the Bank podcast, Logan Levy. Logan is following his dreams at a football scouting agency. We wish him all the best in his pursuits. And now let's jump in to free agency. Let's do it, buddy. All right. So kicking things off with free agency, we're going to take a little bit of a look at the subtractions uh, rather than getting right into the additions. So off the top, they lost a ton of guys this year, a little bit of a transition year um, coming into the new uh, era basically here with Lamar Jackson and Eric DaCosta. I guess it's an interesting pairing way to put it, but you got a new quarterback, a new general manager. So, you know, it's it's a new time here in Baltimore. And uh, some of the key losses, C.J. Mosley, middle linebacker, that's a big one. Terrell Suggs, huge one uh, for not even just on the field reasons. That's, you know, a legend for the franchise. So it's going to be tough to see him playing in that Arizona Cardinal red. Uh, Zadarius Smith, similar to him, right there in that pass rush, had a contract year, bounce for Green Bay. Eric Weddle was a cut. Michael Crabtree was a cut. John Brown was a free agent loss. Uh, anybody anybody that I'm missing here? Or? I think that pretty much covers it. I mean, I think the headliner, as you said, was Mosley. It was a bit of a linebacker exodus. Bottom line to me, CJ was not worth QB money. He was a good, not a great player at a non-premium position. Maybe an elite inside linebacker or a very good edge rusher would have been worth $17 million per season, not a backer who didn't make a whole lot of impact plays. And he specialized in run defense, but a lot of that was aided by scheme. The scheme just funneled ball carriers to him. In my mind, it was a wise move for Eric DaCosta to resist the temptation of investing more capital into run defense when Brandon Williams and Tony Jefferson are already handsomely paid 
Not to mention the fact the Ravens have a long, extensive track record of finding capable run stuffers with minimal investment. The defense will probably see a slight decline in run defense without CJ, but I think they can live with that. Reallocating his contract to other areas of the roster should help long term. And it does feel like a cap issue there, doesn't it? Because he is a very good player. Um, he had a lot of good years here. I think he made the Pro Bowl, what, three, four times? So, you know, great, great run here in Baltimore. Um, we couldn't really afford to bring him back on that number. What did he end up getting, like, 17-5? and five. Um, So good for the Jets if they had the money to pay him. Um, I mean, obviously they did, and they, they did pay him, and we're going to see how he does up there. But, yeah, it definitely felt like a... Uh, a cap situation that you know couldn't keep him around and they reallocated that money to other areas of need uh, that we're going to get into at some point it's important to remember eric DaCosta inherited the situation he wasn't the one that made all these contracts expire at the same time with limited cap space at his disposal a lot of that's ozzy newsome and the contend every season philosophy that kind of capped the raven ceiling but i would have liked them to see i would have liked to see them bring back Terrell Suggs and Zadarius Smith, both of them really. Suggs, definitely a personal favorite of mine. Zadarius still in his prime. At the end of the day, the price tags were just too rich. And I do believe coordinator Martindale's scheme caused much of the production. Hopefully, Wink can do the same for the new crop of 2019 pass rushers. Yeah, right before we jump into that, just to uh, go off what you were saying there, I was sort of 50-50 on both those guys. I feel like Smith, he has potential to go there uh, in that Mike Pettin scheme in Green Bay and do something, but he did kind of strike me as that sort of contract year guy that you know outperforms and then goes and gets paid elsewhere. But it really does hurt to lose Suggs, man. He was a an icon around here, you know. Great team guy, uh, really fit into you know the hardball culture and was uh, turned into a great leader for the team ultimately. So I'm going to wish him the best in Arizona. But uh, yeah, it, it sucks to see him go. Um, yeah. Look, looking forward to Terrell Suggs' Ring of Honor ceremony, that's for sure. And another player who should be inducted into the Ravens' Ring of Honor is Joe Flacco. Yes, sir. Always going to be remembered for bringing that, the franchise their second Lombardi trophy. It was clearly time to move on, move in a different direction, and I think DaCosta should be commended for trading that contract for an early fourth. Yeah, I mean, if you can uh, take advantage of John Elway uh, going after a tall quarterback and overpaying him like that, then you got to do it. So uh, good on DaCosta, and uh, yeah, all joking aside, um, I don't know how we got that far into that without mentioning losing Flacco, who uh, another franchise icon, going to be in the ring of honor, um, had some great years for us, won us that Super Bowl ring. Um, it was time to move on, but uh, yeah, you know gonna be weird seeing him in, in that bronco uniform i actually caught my first glimpse of him in one today on twitter somewhere and it was a uh, a strange sight for sure i bet i bet definitely a transitional year i think the cost is doing the right thing getting the team younger two players that fall into that category that were jettisoned released eric weddle michael crabtree neither were playing up to their cap hits their uh, their physical skills were just diminishing at their advanced ages getting up there in years I think the loss of John Brown is going to sting a little bit. Arguably the best free agent wideout available in the entire market this offseason. But it did seem his skill set did not mesh well with Lamar Jackson. Uh, the Ravens also moved on from running backs Alex Collin and Ty Montgomery. Neither really fit the scheme well. I think the running back stable should be stronger in 2019. Overall, I, I can't really fault the Costa for letting any of these players leave the nest especially considering who we brought in 
Yeah, I would have liked to maybe see Weddle hang around for another year as like a player coach type thing if they could have managed something like that. But it's clear he still wanted to play. And, uh, you know, he got a great opportunity to go out and suit up for a Super Bowl contender out there in L.A. where he's originally from. So uh, good on him, I guess. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And now to the additions, the headliner, Earl Thomas. Your boy. My boy. I said in the last podcast, quick side note, they should give Earl Thomas Mosley's money. And that's kind of what they did. So I could not be happier. Four years, 13.75 average annual uh, salary. In my view, the best and most impactful free agent available in the entire market this offseason. Future Hall of Famer, the closest player the league has seen to the ball hawk himself, Ed Reed. Yeah, I absolutely. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. That's okay. Go ahead. Yeah, so I absolutely, yeah, I love that move too, um, especially like as a Weddle replacement. It feels like a more long-term answer at the position and a better player overall, even when they signed Weddle back in 2016, which, you know, I love that move back then. Um, and yeah, like you were, I think, just about to say there after I rudely cut you off that he has the chance to be remembered as maybe the second best safety to ever suit up in this uniform. Yeah, he's. I think he's going to have a Rod Woodson type of impact if, uh, if anyone can remember that long i mean that that free safety is really the glue and a lot of the those in the fan base were kind of panicking when everybody was leaving who's going to wear the green dot who's going to relay the single signals well free safety in a passing league is definitely with this kind of experience is definitely a player capable of doing so he's 29 years old he can definitely still play at an all pro level when he is healthy and the recent injury injuries are more of the accidental variety than the lingering type. A rangy free safety has been at the top of my wish list for years. And DaCosta added the best in the business. Schematically, he will allow Martindale to crank up the deception to an even greater degree than last year, while also allowing Tony Jefferson to support the run from the box and ultimately button up the formerly subpar coverage, which Weddle did play a part in, in the middle of the field, as well as mostly, to be honest, while simultaneously increasing the turnover production. And the Jefferson factor is huge there because they did pay him a lot of money back in, what was it, going into 17 to come in and be that sort of strong box safety. They got a decent year out of him and Weddle when Weddle still could move a little bit, but that had dissipated towards last year, and you could kind of tell it wasn't really a fit with two strong safety-type guys back there. You know, It is that perfect fit where Thomas is going to be running over the top, taking care of uh, some of those free safety roles and providing some uh, help for Jefferson there on the back end to just run up and blow things up. And now you couple in with the cornerback stable, which we'll get into later. And the Ravens really have a legitimate strength in coverage. And I really don't think there's any replacement for elite coverage in today's NFL. Yeah, definitely. You need to have that sort of modern skill set. And not only do they have it, but they have a versatile safety duo, maybe the deepest cornerback room in the entire league. And uh, it looks like they're getting a little more athletic, a little faster every year. Yeah. And another great addition, I thought, DaCosta made was running back Mark Ingram three years, 15 million total usually I'm opposed to paying aging running backs, but this addition does make a lot of sense Ingram's versatile he can help out on all three downs, his running style suits the blocking scheme the price and contract length are reasonable he should be an asset in the backfield as well as the locker room 
Yeah, we talked about this one a little bit in our Slack right when we first signed him, and um, I sort of brought you around on a little bit if I remember right, because uh, $5 million a year for a running back like Ingram, not bad at all, especially over three years. Yeah, he brings in that that veteran presence, like you were saying. Um, I didn't see running back as a huge need, but, you know, the addition, I think, definitely makes this uh, rushing attack probably the best in the league on paper. Um, They were in the second half of last season with guys like Gus Edwards and Kenneth Dixon leading the way, Um, so... Him and Jackson, I like that. Uh, I like that pairing a lot there in that backfield, and they're going to be they're going to be tough to contend with here. And you know, I wouldn't even be surprised if they made another move in the draft to make this even more formidable here. I agree. They could use one more, uh, but uh, the cost also made two one year uh, four lays into free agency four rays, excuse me. Special teams ace Justin Bethel brought in for one point seven five. He does cancel out a future day three comp pick, so hopefully he can bring something to the defense and specialty packages. Best case, may to maybe develop uh, a niche role or maybe even be a late bloomer like a Corey Graham. Who knows? And then Seth Roberts was recently added. One year, $2 million. Doesn't get more much more low risk than that. Very, very solid under the radar addition. I think he's going to provide some insurance for a friend of our podcast, Chris Scoop and Score More, and he could flourish in an expanded role a la Willie Sneed. Another DaCosta addition that finds the sweet spot between production and price. Yeah, I think, you know, production and price is, you know, right in the middle of that um, where you would find the value there. Um, And, you know, an opportunity to pick up a starter presented itself and, you know, DaCosta, he pounced. And he might be a little redundant with Snead more, but he's he's a starting caliber receiver, and that automatically makes them way better than they were before they signed him. So uh, the fact that it's on a very low number coupled with that, I think uh, they have more work to do with this position, no question. But uh, right now, they're they're set up well to make those moves. I concur. I concur completely. The Costa's other big difference from Ozzie Newsom, besides maybe letting a run defense go to the wayside a little bit more than it was was uh, early extensions to Tavon Young. Three years, $8.6 million average. Maybe a little rich. Nevertheless, slot corner is a starting position these days, and Tavon's one of the best in the league. Great to see the Ravens being proactive with their cap management with this early extension. Another hidden benefit to signing ascending young talent early is that the contract structures are usually more team te- more team friendly in addition to being slightly discounted from unrestricted free agent rates. Yeah, you know what? It looked rich at the time, but then, you know, he was the highest paid slot corner for not very long. If I remember correctly, I think uh, Bradley Roby on the Broncos then shortly beat him out or maybe he signed somewhere else. I'm not even sure, but I think he's not even the highest paid slot guy anymore. So I think he sort of they sort of set that market with a little bit of a lower than average value for a, a top cornerback in the league, you know, slot or otherwise. And um, I, I love the idea of going out and signing these, you know, younger guys before they not only hit the market, but before they hit their peak value. I think it's good to buy low on investing stocks. That's a pretty, you know, basic, generic um, term as far as, you know, investing in things and, you know, Wall Street or whatever it is goes. So I I love the move. I love the sort of money ball aspects that DaCosta is bringing to the position. Um, And yeah, I think that of all the moves that he's made so far, those are kind of the more impressive ones to me because it signals a a little bit of a sea change in the way they're approaching things. Well said, well said. Uh, DaCosta brought back tight end Nick Boyle, three years, $6 million average annual value. 
Keeping Boyle was very important because of his blocking ability, quite valuable in this run-first offense. There is a little bit of suspension risk with Nick, but this is another financially responsible contract length and structure. And also, backup quarterback Robert Griffin, two years, $4 million total, is the right player at the right price. Griffin is the perfect backup for this team with the ability to run the same offense and provide excellent mentorship for Lamar Jackson. Yeah, and I remember back when they kept him on the 53 man going into last season and I think Logan especially in our group chat was like apoplectic about it and I said you know what like Flacco's probably going to be gone here and they're going to need a backup that's going to fit the skill set so in as much as the fact that he wasn't even active that much on game days during this past season uh, he's going to be now and he's going to be the the number one backup so I think it was a savvy move to keep him around uh, and I like the fact that they're extending him yeah, I'll admit that I was also originally against keeping Griffin on the roster. Hadn't kept three quarterbacks in a very long time, but uh, but I was wrong about that one. One player that is beloved by everybody in the Ravens fan base, Marshall Yanda, the stalwart, recently tacked on another year to his contract. He should be leading the line through 2020. He epitomizes play like a Raven, maybe more than any other player remarkable toughness and a true commitment to excellence he should continue to anchor the offense presumably until he hangs up his pads in route to the ring of honor and hopefully a hall of fame induction yeah pro football focus put out a tweet i think today um about how on their grading scale since 2007 when he first entered the league he's never had a grade of below 75.2 which i think is in their above average category so uh Probably a Hall of Fame career. Great to have him back for another year when there were some rumors swirling about him maybe walking away. I don't know how much there was any real legs to those, but uh, it's good to see there weren't any at all, and he's going to be back in the mix here to help block for Lamar Jackson. Yeah, awesome news. And there was a little bit of concern about that, but uh, he's just, he's the, he, like I said, epitomizes what it is to be a Raven. Um, so has done a lot of work, and he, again, inherited maybe a tough situation. There are still a few free agents available that could interest the Ravens. I think they probably want to wait until after the compensatory window closes to make sure they keep the comp picks, 2020 comp picks they're expected or projected to receive. There are a couple edge rushers, though, I think makes some sense, and not Ziggy Ansah because he doesn't fit into an odd man front. But Derek Morgan and Nick Perry both veterans with edge setting ability they also a couple receivers Demarius Thomas just another retread Terrence Williams and Michael Crabtree that same Michael Crabtree could come back on a cheaper deal potentially tough blockers neither can separate consistently though I think I prefer more long-term solutions that can grow with Lamar yeah, that's definitely my preference, too. Um, Demarius Thomas, by the way, signed with uh, New England today, um, so he's off the board there. Yeah, so that's going to be uh, that's gonna be an interesting thing to watch is how active are they, you know, in this coming week leading up to the draft. I don't think they're going to sign anyone, but it would be, you know, interesting if they did heading into the draft because I think it would kind of indicate maybe what their plans are going to be, so... Yeah, I think uh, we got, what, a week and a half until then. So I think wait until the draft and then maybe eye some of these guys up. But I didn't realize that Nick Perry was still in the market. Um, so thanks for bringing that to my attention. I think we could definitely be maybe looking at him as an option, depending on how things shake out there in the selection process. Um, yeah, Ziggy Ansah, another guy I'm not 
too keen on though some people think he could be one of those uh buy low uh sell high type of guys on like a one-year deal um but yeah I'm, i'm not you know too infatuated with him either there I think if they do make a move, it will be on the defensive side of the ball, and it will be in uh, after the first week of May or thereabouts because uh, it will not cancel out a comp pick. On the offensive side, uh, tight end Max Williams is still out there, running back TJ Yeldon. Both of them make a little bit of sense, but both those positions are pretty crowded, the depth chart as it currently sits. I, I could see them make, grabbing a linebacker, though. Potentially, Jamie Collins and Zach Brown are two more names. Both have talent. They also both have reported attitude slash effort issues. Could be worth a flyer after the draft. We'll see. And then what do you think about the defensive line, Jake? Brent Urban still out there. Uh, never really lived up to the hype in Baltimore. I'd personally like to see what Zach Sealer can do. And then two more guys, Timmy Jernigan, former Raven, recently released. And Muhammad Wilkerson, they might be able to bring some disruption in rotational roles. Yeah, I was just about to mention Urban, so I'm glad you did. Um, I wouldn't hate actually us bringing him back, um, but yeah, like you said, I, I'd probably more prefer to see him go the Siler, you know, younger guy route um, there. Um, Urban also did visit with the Titans, so um, he might even be off the market by this the time this comes out. Um, but yeah, I could uh, definitely see them making a move along the defensive line it feels like they always just manage to pick these guys up out of nowhere that are able to contribute effectively so i'm glad they don't you know over invest in it and uh you know big names and free agency so i think that could be another one of those post what is it post may 1st uh pickups now that don't affect their comp pick formula i think it was may 8th last year if i remember correctly may 8th, okay. but but you, you nailed it it's it's all about asset allocation and the ravens can find especially defensive tackles it seems you know, they have defensive tackles that they picked up UDFA that haven't even made the team that are starting for other teams like the Browns currently uh, a couple years later. So I think maybe they're better off earmarking that money for a long-term deal with Michael Pierce. But uh, just to put a button on this free agency portion, this first segment here, per over the cat, the Ravens have about $11 million remaining from 2019 once they signed the rookie class. That means they should have enough room to add at most one or two more vets and retain their third and fourth round projected comp picks for next year by waiting. Uh, And they can also sign their remaining restricted free agents. Michael Pierce has not signed yet and still carry enough in-season contingency cap space. So they they should have space for one or two more again. But the long-term... Baltimore is currently projected to have 95, yes, $95 million in cap space for the 2020 league year, fourth most in the entire league. With the assistance of a quarterback on a rookie deal, Eric DaCosta fixed this decade-long salary cap situation rather quickly. Yeah, if I could whistle, I would whistle there because that's a pretty pretty <laughs> crazy number, um, especially considering you know how cap-strapped they were after uh, Flacco signed his new deal. So that was pretty much a half a decade of uh, trying to navigate things and you know fill out a roster without a ton of cap space to work with. So um, when, even before, uh, even before that, yeah, true, they had, true. They had to franchise Suggs. They had to franchise Nada. You know, really since the two thousand, I believe it was two thousand two purge. They built it up, and then they were chasing the cap ever since. So it's been a while. Yeah, it has, and I, you know, I know it brings 
a tear to your eye because you are a capologist and I admire that. And uh, it does for me a little bit too. It's exciting to see what's going to happen here in this, uh, this coming era. Um, and maybe it doesn't start right away just yet, but uh, I think, you know, you give them another year to build through the draft here next week and um, see how things play out next season. Hopefully they play out, you know, fairly well. And from there on, they, they build to go up and gear up for a Super Bowl run. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And now moving on to our second segment, we're going to review the positional needs for the upcoming draft uh, by using the current depth chart. And let's kick it off with wide receiver, the highest priority draft position. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Um, I think the top of their needs, it's always kind of a toss up because, you know, with any given team, you can find a ton of needs. But I think the fact that this has been an issue for 20 years. Um, they haven't shown any indication that it's going anywhere just yet. And so until they have showed us that wide receiver is not a problem for this franchise anymore, I'm always going to rank it as their number one need. Your thoughts? I'm not sure if I consider it always the number one need because it's, to me, right there. That's definitely before. a little bit of an exaggeration on my part, but I, th- I think you know what I'm getting at. Well, yeah, I, I certainly know what you're getting I just, when you really look at it and dig down into it, Elite wide receivers don't necessarily win championships. Right, they're they're right below the the big four premium positions. But I do think it's the highest. It's I think it is the most important need. Doesn't mean I would go take a wide receiver first in the draft. Then we'll get to that. But I think they need two rookies. They need two rookies that are going to contribute and who can play on the outside to complement Snead, Roberts, and more. Uh, I'm really not expecting that much from Jordan Lasley or Jaleel Scott, last year's rookies. Uh, so I think that the fifth they need to find two early round receivers. They need to take more swings. And ideally, in my mind, I hope they're both vertical threats. Yeah, Eric DaCosta mentioned that uh, at the uh, Liars luncheon they held a couple weeks ago there at the castle. He said um, one of the things uh, that's going to help us towards fixing, fixing this problem is uh, taking more swings when we're up at the plate. So I think that's uh, an indication that they're going to be looking at receiver and they're going to be looking high at it in the draft. For sure. The other offensive positions, well, let's start with the other important, probably second neediest position on offense, interior offensive line, whether that be center or guard. The Ravens are returning a lot of experienced players, but many of them struggled at times, especially in the playoff loss to the Chargers. I personally prioritize center above guard, mainly because it's harder to find than above average center. And secondly, because Matt Skura himself is arguably better at guard. If DaCosta takes a plug-and-play center early in the draft, the Ravens could have a training camp battle royale between James Hurst, Brad Bozeman, Alex Lewis, and Skura to play left guard opposite Yanda. You have to figure someone will emerge as a viable starter under that scenario. But then again, if a stud guard is sitting there at the top of the board, that would also be a nice pick. You know, as much as I do want that receiver, if they get a shot at a guy like Cody Ford or maybe even like a Garrett Bradbury, then sign me up because we we do need more physicality along that interior line next to Yonda. And I think if you can get one of those plug and play guys to throw in there and I'm with you that I think center is the bigger need. Um, you look at what happened with the Cowboys and, you know, I think 2013 when they drafted Travis Frederick in round one and everyone kind of laughed at them. Well, we saw how that worked out for him. I think if you can get a guy like that in round one. Uh, especially to go in this uh, downhill rushing offense, then I think you got uh, a really good formula cooking. Sure. It makes uh, a whole world of sense. It, it, it makes 
to to build up the best possible offensive line that you can. I mean, that's really for any team, but especially for this team under new coordinator Greg Roman, it, it would really, really help out the Ravens. Uh, the other needs on offense, I don't think tight end is a need at all. Nope. I would actually think any tight end would be a waste. You can't find a better trio than Boyle, Andrews, and Hurst. And the last two you took early last year. Um, offensive tackle, I think the Ravens are also in great shape with this premium position with Ronnie Stanley and Orlando Brown. Behind them, Greg Sinat and Jermaine Illuminor. They do provide some decent depth. I don't think they need to add a tackle at all, but if a versatile early round prospect is selected, it obviously wouldn't hurt. Uh, the other two spots, I think they they would like some depth. Quarterback, the idea of carrying another quarterback behind Lamar and RG3 makes some sense now. Late round draft pick could be worthwhile. And then tight end, excuse me, and then running back, a mid-round scat back with breakaway speed could be the perfect way to round out the stable with Ingram, the underrated Edwards, Kenny Dixon, DeLance Turner. Uh, I do expect the Ravens to carry at least four running backs under Roman. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And um, there are going to be some names here that fall, I think, in the draft a little bit. You get the kid out of Penn State. Um, I think Miles Sanders is his name. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, and then Devin Singletary out of FAU is another one to watch there. Uh, as far as quarterbacks, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, there are going to be some guys there that fall as well. I think, um, for example, I don't think this is going to happen, but if the Buffalo kid, the Tyree Jackson guy who's like six seven and can run like the wind, I think if he falls to even round four, I think you got to consider him because that will be a great insurance policy behind a couple of quarterbacks that have uh, shown a tendency to get injured in the past. Yeah, they do, and and I understand that argument that they're running and, and they are going to get injured more frequently because they're taking more hits. There's also the counter-argument that a blindside hit in the pocket uh, causes injury just as much, if not more. Either way, taking a nice quarterback that fits the scheme could work, and there are a couple other uh, quarterbacks I like besides uh, Tyree that we'll get to in a later segment. But uh, flipping over to defensive side of the ball, what's your top defensive need, Jake? My top defensive need is pass rush. I don't really have any sort of position, you know, interior guy, you know, guy that can rush from the outside. But I think they just need horses that can, you know, plug them in there and get after the quarterback. I think um, Suggs and Smith leaving, you know, that I have different levels of concern on both of those guys. But the fact remains that they really haven't done anything to replace them. You know, you got some in-house options there with uh, Bowser and Tim Williams, but those guys are question marks. They haven't done a ton in their two years. So I think uh, getting after the quarterback is uh, the top need that I see. 100 percent. No. And I, and I like the way you phrase that, too, because it doesn't necessarily have to come from an edge rusher. So Darius Smith did most of his damage inside up against guards. But uh, I think outside linebacker uh, might be the most uncertain position going forward on the roster. Matthew Don is an underrated player, but he is coming up on his unrestricted free agent year next offseason. On the other side, odds are one of Timmy Williams and Tyus Bowser will step up when given more reps coming up this year. But both are more situational pass rushers than three down edge setters. I think the Costa should run to the podium if one of the big-name pass rushers fall to 22. And they could also use some help at five technique 
on the defensive line. It is an underrated need in my mind. That could definitely help make up for the losses on the edge. Has to be a pass rusher, though. They don't need another early-round run stuffer right now. With Pearson Williams poised to dominate on the inside, and then Willie Henry returning from injury, he's more of a pass rusher, and then Wormley and Sealer. But uh, you can never have enough defensive linemen to really have a formidable rotation, keep everybody fresh. So if somebody really special falls at five tech, I think that'd be a great pick as well. And that's a pick that this franchise would historically make. And, you know, everyone would kind of, you know, sit there and scratch their heads and say, well, why did they do that? And, you know, at the end of the day, you say, well, it's the Ravens and they always have a strong defensive line and they typically get after the quarterback pretty well. So in that respect, it would not be surprising. Sure. And then the other need obviously is uh, is inside linebacker it is a need the question is is it a major need not in my mind i think um owasso he shows in a, a legitimate ability to play a full 16 games last season and you know contribute i don't think he's necessarily going to be on mosley's level but um i think him paired up with kenny young who he hit a little bit of a rookie wall but you know it's easy to forget how promising he looked in those first three or four weeks where he was flying around the ball and making tackles every which way so i don't see it as a massive need but uh yeah you know when free agency opened and there were guys like brandon marshall whose names were being floated around and there was some mutual interest i was like yeah you know maybe take a flyer on a guy like that who's gonna plug in start 16 games for you and be solid i think there's a need for somebody like that but you don't necessarily need to go out and take a swing at 22 on a guy like devin bush if he falls yeah, I could see them maybe taking one of the Devons if they fall. I kind of hope they don't because I think the Ravens are better off using that pick somewhere else. As you said, Owasso, Peanut, coming off a breakout season, he's ready to lock down the will spot. And I think Kenny Young can be a quality starter at Mike. He did flash. He does have great speed. His speed can mask the downgrade from Mosley in some ways at least in terms of the instincts that Mosley brought to the field and the game Mosley missed Kenny Young was playing had an excellent game Uh, so I I think really an inside linebacker a mid to late round two down run plugger is really the depth piece they need and then in the defensive backfield cornerback as we know we know the name strongest position on the team and arguably the top unit in the NFL Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Smith and Brandon Carr, they are aging, but finding their replacements is a job for next offseason, in my opinion, because if you draft a corner, then you're going to be releasing a promising young player, potentially Anthony Averett, Maurice Kennedy, uh, Bethel, who they just signed or the return man, Cyrus Jones. You can only carry so many corners in one season. Safety, I could maybe see if somebody really just too good to pass up falls in their lap. But uh, Thomas and Jefferson, great at uh, at the top, the unquestioned starters. Anthony Levine and Chuck Clark both contribute to the dime package. And I'm personally excited to see what second-year hybrid safety Deshaun Elliott can do in a full healthy season. Yeah, I agree. I don't see it really as a huge need either. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe a Taylor Rapp or uh, Nasir Adderley falls into round two and they uh, somehow wind up with a pick back there. They snag one of them to maybe replace Jefferson, whose contract is uh, expiring relatively soon, I think. Um, So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them make a move necessarily highly, but I also don't really expect it to happen. Very well. Very good. Uh, I actually like a couple other safeties. Let's uh, let's dig into that, Jake. What 
let me ask you, what is your best case scenario for the draft? It's about a week, a little more than a week away. We've been contemplating and devising strategies. What do you hope to see on draft night? So I'm really getting the feeling that they want to trade down from 22. Um, DaCosta, he brought this up at that Liars luncheon we already mentioned, pointing out how deep this draft is, how they took extra days talking about the players that are in it because it's so deep. And he also mentioned how that they love to take more swings um, to produce that higher batting average. I think that's something I mentioned earlier as well. So going off of that, I think offense is going to be the main priority here. I think wideout is going to be a big focus early on as well. And so I think whether that's taking a stud offensive guy at 22 or trading back and doubling up, I think in the second or third, you know, ideally you could get into the second um, and maybe, you know, pick up some of these value guys like uh, Hakeem Butler from around here, Baltimore. A lot of people like him, uh, JJ Arcega Whiteside. A lot of people think, you know, would maybe even be a first round player if he were a little bit more explosive. Um, so I think the front office, they don't want to make the same mistake they did with Flacco, you know, not surrounding him with enough talent. I don't think they want to do that with Jackson. So I think offense is going to be the main priority. Um, but having said all of that, I think the priority beyond that, we were talking about it earlier, is going to be pass rush, um, particularly an outside guy. So I think you mentioned if a guy like a Burns or a Sweat, they both of them, I think, in their own right, have drawn comparisons to Suggs. I think if either one of them fall, I wouldn't be shocked to see them be the pick at 22 or wherever they do end up. Sure. I, I, you know, trade down, trade down, trade down. That seems that's all that anybody wants to talk about for the Ravens. They don't have a second round pick because they traded it last year. And there's certainly merit in that idea. Uh, best case for me will be trading down and trading back, but still retaining two top 60 picks. Yep. If you're just trading down and trading down just for deep depth i'm not sure what you're really gaining the ravens already have a lot of depth because they have added so many udfas and extra picks in recent years and really championship teams need that upper echelon blue chip talent to advance in january i think the goal of the draft they trade should be to accumulate as many top 90 to 100 to maybe 120 overall picks as well you you just don't they just don't need too many more late round picks they just don't just for the sake of volume i I don't see there's only maybe five to eight roster spots open right now without starting to release promising guys you have on the depth chart from the last couple draft classes so i don't know what that's really gaining and i'd even propose packaging a few late round picks to move up a little bit earlier on day two Uh, The other question is, I'm not sure how easy it's going to be to find a trade partner. All the teams know that the sweet spot is on day two. And the positions I think that the Ravens are hoping fall to them, such as pass rusher, is not necessarily – they're not going to want to trade to another team that wants a pass rusher if they themselves want a pass rusher. Ideally, the quarterback's tight ends and corners – go early to push down maybe an offensive tackle somebody else wants so i think their ideal situation here you find a trade partner to go back into the late 20s let's say between like 27 and 32 you pick in the first round and let's say they also manage to pick up a late second or an early third or you know a couple thirds or whatever it's going to be so that way you still get that you know potentially premium player but you also have the depth to take 
more swings at some of these problem positions and help fill out the roster. That's kind of more what I, I was hoping for when I, I teed you off there. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, really the only position I would be excited about picking at number 22 would be edge rusher, just the way this class is shaking out and where the value seems to be. Brian Burns and Sweat, as you mentioned, both fast twitch guys. Another prospect that really intrigues me is Cleveland Farrell out of Clemson. Very well-rounded player. He's uh, the epitome, the definition of a solid double, which teams like to to take in the first round. Because Harbaugh even said only 50% of first-round picks are hits. And Farrell does have that three-down ability, which the Ravens are going to miss without Suck setting the edge. I think really the cost of, he needs a player the strengths of the class, and that means picking an edge early if one's there because the next tier is relatively weak compared to receiver where there's a whole lot of depth. You know, in day two, the second round, the third round, I don't know how much of a difference there is between the number one receiver and the number four, five, six receiver in this class. Uh, in terms of the offensive line, uh, who who do you prefer? Say the board shakes out uh, that the Ravens have their pick between Cody Ford, offensive guard from Oklahoma, Garrett Bradbury, the center from NC State, and Eric McCoy, the center from Texas A&M. So I think center is the bigger need, but I think Cody Ford is the better player of those three guys. I would probably say Ford. I think he might be a better fit in this offense overall. But, um, yeah, I, I'd be happy with any single one of those guys because, like I said, center I think is a, a better need, you know, or a bigger need. They, you know, definitely need to bring another guy in there alongside Bozeman and whoever else they have going on and maybe slot a healthier Alex Lewis or Matt Scarra over into that left guard spot where they can be solid. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Uh, Bradbury – very solid player he is tailor made for his own scheme he still would be valuable i think one of those three might kind of be the fallback option if they can't trade out of that pick and none of the pass rushers fall let's uh let's discuss maybe the most polarizing prospect in this class who could potentially be the pick at number 22 in fact our colleague kyle barber selected him in the recent sb nation team by team uh, mock draft he felt to him D.K. Metcalf. So he's definitely polarizing, um, and he's polarizing to me uh, in a lot of ways. I love the physical traits. I love, you know, the comparisons to guys like Josh Gordon and even, you know, Eric Costa called him or compared him to Terrell Owens. Uh, Joe Ortiz compared him to Demarius Thomas. So all of that's great, but it's going to have to pan out on the field. You know, the guy's been injury prone. Um, there, you know, I'm not always super concerned about production in college, but there wasn't a ton of it. You know, a lot of that was actually going to AJ Brown, his teammate there at Ole Miss, who's probably going to go very highly as well. So I'd like him to be a little bit more of that complete type of guy. But, you know, if a guy's going to be falling to 22, then you're not going to be getting a Julio Jones type. You're going to be getting a guy like a Thomas or a Des Bryant that you're going to have to be gambling on a little bit. So definitely polarizing. Um, of all my guys in the draft, like if I could pick, you know, any number of guys that I'd expect would be there. I don't I don't know if he'd be number one, but, you know, he'd certainly be in the mix. Um, and, you know, it'd be sort of a wait and see for me. I'd want to, you know, see how healthy he is and uh, see how complete that route tree ultimately is, because that was another concern with his, uh, I think, lateral quickness and stuff at the combine. So, yeah, a lot to unpack there, obviously. But, uh, yeah, he's not polarizing for no reason. He is 
DK Metcalf, my number one receiver on the board. Um, you know, he just he has that size, speed, strength combination to get off press and win vertically, which would really open up everything underneath. Even if he only catches a couple balls a game and maybe draws a pass interference penalty, now that, that uh, Harbaugh can challenge non-calls, who knows? Demarius Thomas is my comp for him. Go route some bubble screens. That's really what he does. Not a complete player. But I think a receiver who would complement what the Ravens want to do. Um, I'd be fine with Metcalf. I wouldn't necessarily be excited. I don't think he's a top 10 prospect. But at number 22, he's not a number one. Nobody in this class really is a number one. And just one more name I want to throw out there as a dark horse pick at number 22 before we move on to the guys we like in in the second and third rounds, day two. Jerry Tillery's a defensive end from Notre Dame. He compares favorably to DeForest Buckner, the five-tech, and uh, the Ravens really lacked a player like that since Trevor Price. Yeah, so just to be totally candid, I don't know a ton about this guy, but when you say DeForest Buckner, I mean the athleticism must be off the charts, I guess, right? Yeah, absolutely. The production is there as well. He's got the body type. He's got the length. Uh, he's a really solid player, not necessarily the most consistent, but an intriguing player. You, you add a five-tech like that with a free safety like Earl Thomas, and you're starting to have visions of the Ravens' 2006 incredible elite defense. Yeah, if you get some more athleticism up there up front, especially if a guy's going to be able to get after the passer, I think that's definitely going to be a huge thing. Uh, because, like you said, we do have a lot of bodies up there. You know, these guys are solid players, but, you know, they're not necessarily going to be jumping out of the gym and they're not going to be giving you that juice in the pass rush that you need right now. So that sounds uh, sounds like a good deal to me. Yeah, so we'll see. Just somebody to keep an eye on for, for Ravens fans, Ravens Nation. Day two, Ravens have pick number 85 and pick number 102 currently, a mid and a late third rounder. The second one's a compensatory pick. Uh, for uh, compensating them for Ryan Jensen, the loss. A lot of intriguing prospects projected to go somewhere on day two. It's really, I think, the cream, the sweet spot of this draft. Yeah, man, I definitely feel you on that. It uh, it seems to be that way, and it seems like, like I said, the front office is uh, eyeing that sweet spot up, that second, third round, where they have those two third-round picks. Maybe they're going to package them and some of those uh, extra fourth-rounders that they have to move up and do it and uh, make a play on some of these guys. So uh, who, are you, who are you liking there? Uh, beginning at receiver, I, I'm really hoping to cost the double dips, and I think the way to go is, uh, is with speed, speed marchants. Guys that can separate. I think the ability to separate downfield jives better with Lamar's accuracy issues more than a contested catch specialist. And the team already has a bunch of possession uh, receivers and resident targets, especially including all their tight ends. So really any of, uh, of Hollywood Brown, Paris Campbell, Emmanuel Hall, Terry McLaurin, Nicole Hardman, the list goes on and on, Andy Isabella and Miles Boykin. I think any of those guys would help. And then there's some other receivers I also like that aren't necessarily speedsters, still sub four five guys, but A.J. Brown and Debo Samuel would probably more fit into that big slot role, maybe as a succession plan when Snead moves on, and Hakeem Butler, a vertical threat, big body, huge catch radius. Either way, I think adding more explosive plays through the air is what is needed to complement the downhill running and unlock Roman's offense. 
Uh, you know, day two is the perfect range to target multiple receivers in this class. The Ravens don't necessarily need to find that legitimate number one this year. They can add complementary players because there are quite a few legitimate number ones coming out of college in the 2020 class. Yeah, and I think the whole idea of not really worrying about getting that super imposing number one guy sort of having a more deep receiving core that that was their approach last year and it worked fairly well i mean crabtree a lot of people got on him but he he had some moments and john brown obviously got off to a great start with flacco not as great a fit with jackson um and then sneed was sort of that possession guy and he had chris moore getting into the mix a little bit there so i think uh, i like what you're saying about building out that depth as for me i wouldn't go just straight speed guys i'd like to get one of those and then maybe pair them up do that basketball team type thing where you have the point guard and the power forward. So maybe get one of those Hollywood Brown type guys and then pair them up with uh, uh, Akeem Butler or uh, Arcega Whiteside or one of those possession type guys. Um, I think that would be the, the route I would go there. Arcega Whiteside is a great prospect. One of my favorites in this class, actually. I just don't think he really fits Lamar well, but I hear what you're saying for sure. It's either uh, you want to build a basketball team, you want to build a track team. You can make an argument either way, considering the way the Ravens roster is already constructed. Day 2 also has a lot of really rock-solid blockers that really should be there. Elton Jenkins, a center. Dalton Risner, a versatile blocker who could play maybe all five positions and then chris lindstrom another plug and play guard would all be really excellent additions i think to the line if the costa he's gonna have to trade into range for those three i think though yeah he might just have to um but like we said if the if it's going to be worth doing so for receiver it might be for offensive line especially if they don't make a, a move in round one there um, you're gonna need to you're gonna need to make a move on that interior somewhere. I know they've had an ability to find some of these guys in the fourth rounds and later, um, but uh, yeah, I think if the opportunity presents itself, a guy like uh, Reisner or um, you know any of these other guys that are gonna be able to keep Lamar on his uh, his feet here are gonna be crucial. They only have space maybe for one or max two offensive linemen, so I think you'd like to get that guy early, right? And build up a juggernaut there, edge rusher. I personally do not like the tier two prospects however there are two that i'm somewhat enamored with chase winovich out of michigan great tape and really impressive athletic testing just watching him live during the season his get off is tremendous i think he has a lot of the intangibles the ravens are looking for he might even sneak out sneak into the end of the first round his stock seems to be rising but i like him a lot as a fallback if they cannot find one of those really big name guys. And then Christian Miller, a little bit under the radar, probably late third, early fourth type of prospect, maybe pushed up because of positional value. I don't know. Coming out of Bama, he's got some untapped potential as well. I would love it if Winovich fell into round two and they found a way to get up and get him. He's a, like you said, a great player already. Also a great character guy. I think he would fit in, be a team captain immediately. I don't know if anyone watches that show. Uh, all or nothing but they did one on michigan i think two years ago and he was one of those guys that just immediately jumped off the screen as a dude who's a locker room leader and i think uh in that respect he'd be a great fit here sure and the hardball connection as well as we know right and then safety we touched on it there are two safeties that i think are second third round guys that i personally uh like their tape and like the way they play chauncey gardner johnson out of florida 
one of my favorite players in the class, has a real nose for the football. He might just be too good to pass up on if uh, if they do trade back and have a, a middle second rounder. I think Houston has two second rounders for what it's worth right in the middle of the rounds. And then Juan Thornhill out of Virginia, the, uh, the basketball champion team, uh, another safety with some ball hawking traits. Sure. Gardner Johnson, another guy that people really seem to love. Um, I think he was getting a little bit of first round buzz, but that's that's cooled off a little bit. And uh, Thornhill. Yeah, I think I've heard a little bit of buzz about him as well. So I think if either of these guys, if they if they like them enough and they follow them, I wouldn't necessarily be trading up for a safety. Like we mentioned, you know, not really need no need to trade up for it. But if they do fall to them um, and they have one of those picks in the late round, late second round that maybe they trade back for or they fall to them in the third round, that might be a, a wise little value investment to make. Sure. And DaCosta, he did admit that the Ravens' best player available is very limited. They don't just pick any position. Best player available to fill a need. Correct. Yeah, right. It's limited. I mean, they're not going to pick a quarterback in the first round because he's the best player. You know, they're just not. I think safety is a position where they probably don't take a guy in the first round, but maybe they expand that range of what positions are best to them or would be most helpful make the most impact instant coffee as he likes to say (laughs) day three the ravens have five picks i think the objective of day three is really just fleshing out the depth chart and we're just going to tick off the names of a couple prospects not really sure what round they're going to go in it's hard to project but uh, there are some intriguing players as well that should be available yeah, I think uh, I think you mentioned Isabella earlier, Andy Isabella from UMass, the wide receiver. I think if he falls into round three, they're going to have to be all over him because he is uh, the definition of that track guy, maybe the fastest guy in the entire class. Developmental pass rusher-wise, Sharif Miller out of Penn State, the versatile Jalen Jelks, and my favorite 2019 small school prospect is Max Crosby. All three of those guys would fit the bill. Ravens could probably add two edges this year, at least. They have roster room for that. And then I think the the fourth and fifth rounds is where the Ravens want to target a running back. Uh, Justice Hill and especially Miles Sanders probably going to be taken earlier. But Bryce Love, Mike Weber, Travion Williams, or Travis Homer all have various skill sets out of the backfield. Inside linebacker as well, as we mentioned, Jermaine Pratt, nice player as is Bobby Okariki. Both are more the modern, rangy type linebackers, while Tavon Coney, Trey Lamar, TJ Edwards, and Joe Giles Harris are more the thumpers in the run game type. And then uh, interior offensive line, Oklahoma's Drew Samia, a lot of upside there. And then the two quarterbacks, I think, fit the bill. Jared Stidham out of Auburn, Mississippi State's Nick Fitzgerald. They're both nice late-round options for an RPO offense. And the final prospect I'd like to highlight, Terry Beckner from Missouri. He's a underrated player who could help the defensive line rotation. Yeah, I like it. You mentioned a lot of interesting names there. I think um... – Stidham was a guy who's thought of as a potential first, early second rounder, I think, heading into the season. And then Fitzgerald, another guy, quarterback, who's, uh, I think, got uh, some pretty decent speed. So he'd be another fit as an RPO type guy. 
And then, you know, a lot of interesting names there. You mentioned some rotational defensive line pieces, which uh, I think they're going to be targeting as usual. So uh, keep your ears open to hear some of those other names. And then you also mentioned Okariki, who I think uh, Mel Kuyper, who was on Ryan making Garrett Downing's podcast the other day, he mentioned him as a potential fit for the Ravens in the mid rounds as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a deep class. It's really going to be exciting. I can't wait. Draft is uh, maybe my favorite time of year, even more than the NBA playoffs and the NHL play, NHL playoffs. Dude, it's the best. We actually just had the Masters on Sunday. So Tiger Woods, 2019 Masters champion, no big deal. We had that. Um, we got the draft coming up, NHL, uh, NBA playoffs getting uh, getting started here. So it's a really underrated time to be a sports fan. Um, a lot of people don't really love the spring, uh, but I, I do, you know. Hope is in the air. Hope springs eternal, as they say. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, it's uh, it's great to be back doing our podcast here for the Baltimore Beatdown blog. Uh, my final thought on the offseason, I absolutely love what Eric DaCosta has done. He's seemingly taken Ozzie Newsom's right player, right, play, right price formula and improved upon it by incorporating the positional values of the modern NFL Really can't wait to see what he does in the draft. Just adding just a few, three maybe, complementary pieces to the existing strengths of the team, run offense and pass coverage, will legitimately make the Ravens in 2019 a formidable contender. Yeah, I love it too, buddy. Uh, And to give you my final thought here, I think um, what I would say heading into next Thursday, I know we're probably going to record in between now and then, but... um, just, you know, expect the unexpected. I didn't expect him to make pretty much any of the moves that he ended up making, Eric DaCosta, uh, to begin the offseason. So I think uh, carrying that sort of mindset into the draft is going to help prepare you for the ninja doing his work here. No doubt. All right, buddy. Um, is that all you got? That's it. Yep, that's all I got, too. So uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. Great to be back, and uh, we're excited to get this thing rolling again. So uh, be sure to keep tuning in here and to keep checking out BaltimoreBeatdown.com for all of our piping hot takes. Mm-hmm.